your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. It's been a little bit, but we're back under a new roof, so to speak. We are part now of the Broadcast Basement Network, hosted by Chris Lanuti. We want to thank him so much. You're familiar with the name, Socks in the Basement, BroadcastBasement.com. My goodness, James, we're finally out of the woods. Uh, it was quite oh, a couple of weeks we had a transition period away from SoxMachine.com. Those who follow Future Socks know that Future Socks and Socks Machine had been partners for 18 months. September 1st, that partnership was put to the wayside, and now Future Socks returns to being independent. Socks Machine the same. Over those two weeks, we reset the website, FutureSocks.com. Go to it, explore it, see what we have to offer there. The interface is the same as it was before our merge with Socks Machine with a little bit of tweaks to it. I think it looks sharp. And then we were looking for a new outlet to promote the podcast because Josh Nelson, who led the charge at Socks Machine regarding podcasts, allowed us to be part of his network. And we saw a lot of positive growth from that decision. And we wanted to continue to ride the momentum. And Chris Lanuti was very welcoming in allowing us to be part of his network. And we are now partners with Broadcast Basement. Really excited about this partnership, James, because we just got done talking on a Patreon podcast, which you can subscribe to Future Socks. And if you want to become a patron to Future Socks, we really appreciate it because that's the, that's what fuels us, uh, you, the dedicated listener and the patrons out there. Uh, two bucks a month, 24 bucks for the year. You'll get podcasts without ads, none of that stuff. And you'll also get exclusive content that we're posting there strictly for you. It's the source for us to continue to do this and to provide our writers with a little bit more of an incentive as well as opportunities for growth in other areas. If you'll start, you'll see like this, for example, us on the broadcast basement. It's partly because you, the dedicated listener and the contributor allowed us to do so. So that's our pitch on Patreon. Uh, there's more to offer there. Go to futuresocks.com for more information, but we just got done recording a podcast exclusively for Patreon explaining everything that had gone down with uh, our transition away from socks machine and the decision to merge with them uh, at the time, just over 18 months ago. And then as well now with uh, like we talked about the transition to broadcast basement on their network. So yay, Chris Lunuti, we appreciate you, man. That was uh, really, really nice of you to welcome us onto your platform and to your network. So quickly, James, when it comes to this podcast, you're going to get all the episodes where you get them now, you know, we put out on our website as well as on Patreon ad free. So if there's any issues that you're having, email us futuresocks at gmail.com. If you don't hear the episode where you typically get it, um, let us know. We'll, we'll talk about it and we'll fix it. Also, we're on Podbean now. That is our supporting host site. So if you want to download the Podbean app, go ahead. We'll be there in your inbox. But if you're subscribed to us, we're on Spotify and iTunes and all the rest as well. So there's our little news breaking here on Future Socks because bam, boom, good stuff. We have a lot to talk about. 
Uh, first, though, James, can we just give another shout out to Chris Lanuti? Yeah, of course. You know, so I think people know, like, I, I've been on the Socks in the Basement podcast quite a bit. I think I was one of his first guests. You know, it's a really easy format just because they do like a half hour pretty consistently and they were two shows a week. And, you know, I remember back like during the pandemic season when there was no baseball, like Chris was simulating a, a uh, like MLB the show season. And it's like one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And I can't say that I listened to every episode, but I'd listen occasionally and it was, it was, uh, it was kind of interesting. And then I would, I would join in and it was, uh, yeah, that, that was fun. So hopefully nobody ever has to do that again. But yeah, this is a, uh, like we said, like on the Patreon pod too, this is a good move for us. Um, you know, you you might hear those guys over here occasionally. You'll hear us over there. So just like a partnership that I'm looking forward to in in the, uh, the, the White Sox space with all of the bloggers and content people still chugging away despite you know, some of the shortcomings of this baseball team. Yeah. How about it? And we're going to talk about it today on the podcast. It's been a little bit glad you're still with us and glad you're clicking on our stuff. We're, we're happy to do it. Chris Getz is appointed now as the general manager of the ball club. Curious to see who he may bring in within the front office to help uh, decision-making. Also, we want to mention some of the highlights of, you know, specific players. There, there are guys in the White Sox organization that we expect to be part of things in 2024, possibly even 2025 uh, as, as the Arizona fall league is coming up here. And James has some thoughts on the draft lottery because, Hey man, the White Sox might lose a hundred games. So that's a thing. Let's talk about Chris Getz. Now, Chris Lanuti, I know on Sox in the basement has very strong opinions about the White Sox decision to hire Chris Getz. So I encourage you to listen to their podcast. Here at the Future Sox Podcast, we want to be uh, as transparent as possible about how we view decisions through the organization's lens, right? So we want to maybe speak for the organization a little bit. Now, we're not in the room, but we always make an effort to try to understand where the organization is coming from. And that means we have to cope with decisions made by Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf kind of took me aback when he fired not only Rick Hahn, but Kenny Williams, But then shortly thereafter, we saw reports almost immediately that it would potentially be Chris Getz. There was a leak that, and maybe it wasn't even, it was just informed speculation that Chris Getz would be a quality candidate for the job. And what do you know? He was hired. Now, James, that's where I want to stick regarding the process. There was no process, right? Because if you're going to say that they expect the job to be filled by the end of the year, at the time, it just near August, at the end of August, early September, that leaves you about six weeks to fill the role. Now, that's not out of the question. But on the last podcast that you may have listened to, I was wondering, is that enough time? Is Jerry going to be able to send some people out to interview candidates, quality candidates for the job? Well, there was a report that the White Sox didn't need to interview any minority candidates because of their sparkling record in that regard in the past. So that kind of clause or that loophole was out the window and Jerry liked Chris gets enough to say he is the guy. A lot of fans are very down on the hire and rightfully so we can understand why, but I think the reason for the frustration stems from the process of Jerry Reinsdorf's decision to move on from Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn and going 
down the same path as he has all his life. And that's hiring a guy that's close to the hip and somebody who's already been a part of the organization. And to our knowledge, done without really doing a search. Yeah. The, so the that that's the biggest problem, right? And I think I've kind of talked about this. Like, I, I don't know that Chris Getz is destined to like fail. It's just uninspiring because they, they didn't do a search. And, you know, like I was skeptical that Reinsdorf would do a search. But then once the, the firings happened, like, you know, we talked about it on the episode that we did, whatever that was, like a month ago. Just so, like, I was encouraged by a couple of things. Like, I was encouraged that they said the single decision maker thing. And, like, I'm still encouraged by that. We can get into it. But the other thing was, I, I just, I thought there was plenty of time. Like, the Tigers hired Scott Harris last year on September 19th, I think it was. So, you know, I thought they had ample opportunity here. I mean, you just saw, like, the Red Sox fired Heim Bloom this week. I, I bet they get, like, a, a, a really good like new head of baseball ops, like relatively soon. So there is time for these things. It just seems like, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't make decisions like this unless he has like the plan already thought out. Right. So my guess is like Chris Getz had this job, like before they fired those two guys and that's how Bob Nightingale gets it. And you know, yeah, it is disheartening. It is uninspiring. It's all of those things. That doesn't mean that Chris Getz can't be good in this role those are things that, you know, we'll talk about over the coming weeks and months, obviously. But yeah, I mean, anybody that's upset by this, like, I mean, they, they just, they, they haven't, you know, earned the benefit of the doubt from anybody. So I totally understand being skeptical. You know, I, we were talking before this, like I, you know, I, I forgot that they like still have games playing sometimes, you know, it's like, like the NFL has started. It's like, oh yeah, the White Sox are playing and they're, you know, their win totals like you know, 58 or whatever. So yeah, I mean, Chris gets, you know, th this was an opportunity, you know, to, to really bring about change and it, and it could be significant change still. It's just on the surface. It's not, and it just doesn't excite anybody. And I think that's for good reason. Right. And the, look, the, the focus is Jerry Reinsdorf didn't conduct an actual search to our knowledge. Now I don't, I, for all indications, it seems like he was the guy, Chris Getz was the guy from the beginning, and that was the plan. Chris Getz oversaw minor league operations, even dating back to 2016 when he was invited into the organization. He slowly moved up the ranks, and so it's, it's very hard to defend, and it's, it's I understand, uh, hearing a lot of discourse, and it's so negative, and I get it. You know, the farm system hasn't been great. Chris Getz is responsible for overseeing the farm system. And let's just talk about the history of this farm system since Chris Getz came aboard. It underwent a ton of changes. Now, this may sound like I'm coping or I'm trying to make excuses for the organization, but I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture in my head to get myself optimistic about what could become some decent White Sox teams moving forward. It looks bleak. The guy really hasn't even gotten started yet. So just got to wait. I know. It, so anyway, yeah, it's, I'm already battling myself with this. So at the beginning of. of yeah, you're just you're just waiting for them to hire Omar Vizquel as the manager of the big league team. Well, that's, that's a, the, yeah, yeah, an example sorry, sorry, of sorry, just yeah. of inept. You, you can't you can't discount that hire and you're bringing in toxic people into the organization. That's on Chris Getz. We didn't mention that in our last episode. 
Dating back to 2016, the White Sox farm system was at the bottom of the league. And traditionally, they had been at the bottom of the league. They were poor at drafting. They didn't really invest in minor league infrastructure and modernizing talent evaluation, right, or uh, improving talent once they get into the farm system, identifying talent. All of it has been an issue. Draft strategy specifically, that's been an issue. Fast forward to, I would even consider 2019 part of Mike Shirley's initial draft class. But fast forward to 2020, Mike Shirley takes on that role and we continue to sing high praises of, of his job, but we'll get there. 2016, we all remember, was the beginning of the rebuild. They had added so much talent from outside the organization that were close to major league ready, as well as signed a couple of guys internationally, that it skyrocketed the White Sox farm system to tops in baseball. That's because those who were acquired were ready to graduate and close to the big leagues. And then you add a draft pick like Andrew Vaughn in 19, it's going to elevate your status. Now, all you need is a handful of guys who are considered top 30, top 10, top five prospects to be considered a top farm system in baseball. Once they all graduated, we were wondering what else was there. Uh, And those such as Gavin Sheets and Zach Birdie and Zach Collins we were hoping for players like that to make impacts and they committed to Adam Engel and Danny Mendick and late round draft picks. Yes, they, they saw major league playing time, but outside of that few and far between were there a lot of players who came from within the system who made an impact. The farm system saw a complete reset in 2020 following the graduations of several prospects. Now we're starting to see them, middle of the pack and it took them four years to get there you want to break it down there's an international scouting department there's the drafting department and then there is the general manager who is responsible for filling the 40-man roster plus and scouting for minor league depth chris Getz wasn't involved in to my knowledge right we don't know this james he's not the one selecting the players it is his responsibility to establish an infrastructure to help these players get to the next level. Now, he did do that early in his tenure. We heard reports that, especially when Jake Berger was getting healthy, sorry, Sox fans, to mention the name, that there were opportunities for him in Arizona to monitor his biomechanics and see what is going on analytically in his swing. Believe it or not, the White Sox were super late to the party in that regard, and we thank Chris Getz for getting them to that next step. I remember in Schaumburg during the 2020 season, the implementation of biomechanics and as well as like the Rapsona machines. This is elementary type stuff, but Chris gets helped the White Sox get to the modern era of Major League Baseball. So that's a plus in my in my book for, you know, if we're, we're checking off the list. Not to get too far off the point though, James, and I'll let you respond, of course. I think... It's unfair to place all of the blame on the lack of success in the minor leagues on Chris Getz because, one, the decision to acquire players and to get the talent into the organization, maybe he was overseeing that operation, but he, he's not the guy making that decision. It's There are other parties responsible for filling the talent. And talent, look, you could blame him for the talent not having the correct space or the best environment to get to that next level. That's totally fair. But I just wanted to mention that the timelines 
make sense as to the reasons why the White Sox have been at the bottom of the league in the in their farm system. I already went through it. Acquired prospects graduated, reset in 20, starting from the ground up. And now we're starting to see some of the fruits with a lot of the top prospects. And the White Sox are being recognized as a middle-of-the-pack minor league ball club for the first time in four years. So that's all I had to say about that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do feel like it's a time like for us to cover some new guys too, just because I think they're going to add some more. I know, look, I know what Jerry Reinsdorf said when he talked publicly for the first time in twenty plus years, right? And you know, one of his reasons or excuses or whatever you want to call it that he didn't go outside the organization was that he said that it would take a new person a year to, you know, kind of get the lay of the land and figure things out and you know whatever. I mean that, you know, it's, it's most likely nonsense and he just wanted to go internal because he's always gone internal and that's just what he feels most comfortable doing because he doesn't want outside perspective on his organization because it's you know not run particularly well but like if you listen to chris Getz, like chris Getz has not come out and said that the 2024 white Sox are contending for an american league central title or that they're even contending for anything like he he was you know he wasn't quick at all to set expectations because I, I think that the most likely outcome and look obviously something that we'll talk about for for the next few weeks and months is that, like there's more players on this team that might get shipped out this winter and bring more prospects in and it, you know it could be like a fairly young very different looking baseball team next year so look, I think I think change is generally good, right? And it it doesn't mean that it's going to work, but it's definitely going to be different. Like I've been thinking back to, I mean, all the White Sox things, like Bob Nightingale, like always knowing everything, and the way they use the media around the trade deadline, and all the Boris stuff. Like what what stays the same, what doesn't, right? Like a whole host of like. Ken Williams stories. I mean, Ken Williams and Rick Hahn were here for 20 years. So like stuff is going to be different. And the sole decision maker part, I think is huge. Obviously, like I can't guarantee you that Jerry Reinsdorf isn't going to meddle and not let Chris Getz do certain things. But I, but I do think like, you know, in to Jerry's credit, like they spent 180 some million dollars on payroll. And it seems like there was a lot of dysfunction between the two decision makers more than most thought. And, you know, when you start hearing that Ken Williams like had the authority to make certain trades, but he didn't really want to be the general manager, but he would pop his head in like whenever he kind of wanted to. And it's just, it just screams dysfunction. You know, a guy you mentioned earlier in Mike Shirley, Nick Hostetler before him, like I know for a fact that, you know, the, the draft on the first night isn't like all their decision, you know, like you, you could randomly have the vice president of baseball operations, like stick his nose in and just like decide to pick a player. Cause he feels like it. I do think like with Chris gets like the, the people that he hires in these jobs and there will be new hires from outside. Like, I, I think we know that, or at least I feel confident knowing that the people that are hired will be allowed to do their jobs. And I think having the singular voice here at the top is we know who to blame. We know who to praise, right? I've said that on other shows. I said it on ours the last time we recorded. Like if the White Sox trade for Salvador Perez, we can hammer Chris Getz for that. 
because it would be ridiculous, right? Whereas like in the past, Mike, how many times were we like, oh, that's a Kenny move. Oh, that's a Rick move. Like, oh, that's one Jerry wouldn't let him do. And I feel like we don't have to do that anymore, which is one positive out of this whole thing. Yeah, and the sole decision maker, we talked about it before. It's, it's super important, but it's one of those things where I'm thinking about the direction of the franchise. How are you going to operate this payroll under Jerry Reinsdorf's watch? And I think Chris Getz has an understanding of how Jerry wants it done. They're going to save a lot of money if they commit internally, and it seems like that's the case. And you talked about it a little bit earlier. Chris Getz didn't really signal that they want to go out and be competitive next year through free agency or maybe in the trade market. If you're going to trade all your prospects and spend in free agency to compete in 2024, then I think you're taking massive steps back within the organization. It, just because there's not a lot to go on otherwise, uh, other than these prospects that have been developed over the last few years, you're about to see at least over the next couple of seasons why it's so important to invest into the farm system and why it takes more than just a couple of years for it to be good. If you want sustained success in the farm, you got to be able to continue to replenish. And that's why we're excited about the way that the White Sox are strategically going about the draft. And if you have Chris Getz in charge, he's more in tune with the process and what it means to develop minor league players and valuing minor league talent. We're trying to convince ourselves here, guys. This is what the future of the White Sox kind of holds in store for us. And I think it is important to monitor who Chris Getz wants in his corner, making decisions in the front office. Because I I know he's making the decisions now on the 40-man roster and you know monitoring waiver claims. He's just never done it before. And now he has the chance to do it. Now, the Pedro Gofrold thing is a whole nother story. Pedro Grafol walked into this clubhouse in 2023 with the intent to get these guys playing to their full potential by hustling. Well, it seemed like Pedro Grafol kind of got walked all over in the clubhouse there. And I'm curious to see how 2024's roster is going to answer Pedro Grafol and how Pedro Grafol is going to change the way he goes about getting the best out of his players because it seemed like these players didn't respect him whatsoever. So moving on, when you think about the future of the 2020 of the White Sox and immediately in 2024, and Grafol, we assume, is going to be a part of things, that's all indications suggest that they said Grafol is coming back. If there's new personalities in the clubhouse, maybe the culture can take shape, and that's what Pedro sold to the White Sox to begin with. Yeah, I... That's the one weird thing, right? And Getz was mentioned a lot, like with Rick Hahn, like once Pedro was hired and, you know, they both worked in Kansas City. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if next year is like the last year of Pedro Grafol, like regardless, right? You would hope that they could come in and set a foundation. But I mean, like he's like said a lot of very questionable things this year. And there are players that got worse and, Look, I don't know if that's on him, but he is the manager, right? Um, and he just, like, I don't know. Like, he just, like, kind of reminds me of Jim Boylan sometimes. Like, it just, like, they don't respect him because he's, like, you know, like, why why would you? Like, he, you know, he made the comments about, like, never sacrificing, like, big league wins for development and all sorts of other weird stuff. And he's, 
like punished like certain young players for stuff when he like lets veterans slack off and you know he was like this much different guy after all of these like veterans left the clubhouse so yeah i just like don't really think pedro grafol matters all that much and it's another reason why like i just like don't think they're going to be very good next year by design and because like they would have to add so much and spend so much money to even be decent next year like this is a fourth worst team record wise in baseball and they don't have a ton on the horizon that's like going to help next year. So, you know, like if he's like the the placeholder manager for next year before, you know, Chris gets hires like the next long-term manager of the White Sox in 2025, like I guess that makes some sense, but I'm not really like looking forward to having this guy be <laughs> talking and making all <laughs> these decisions and just cuz he just says weird things that I like don't understand him sometimes. Baseball managers shouldn't matter this much, but it's clear when they're bad. There's more of a negative influence, I think, on a team from a bad manager than there's good influence from a good manager. You know, good managers will get you wins and make decisions. It's roster management, culture building, absolutely. But it just seems like a bad manager really does hinder what the major league ball club and performances are put out on a day-to-day basis, man, I just, yeah, I'm with you. Like it's disappointing to see. And I, I said it on previous episodes that yeah, Griffel may have gotten a, a bad hand at the beginning of this year, but listening to these post-game press conferences, it's hard for me to get on that level. I know he wants to win. He's got to get the right players in his clubhouse that are going to respond to his message. And, Maybe 2024 is the beginning of that. Now, speaking of 2024, the White Sox might have an opportunity to snag the first overall draft pick, James. What are your thoughts on the status of where this team is related to the lottery? Because this is a thing now, Major League Baseball implementing a draft lottery. Yeah, so the one bad thing is like they wait until like the first or second night of the the winter meeting. So it's going to be a long time until we know when they pick it's, it's going to be December. And, you know, there's been like a lot of people who have kind of said like, Oh, well, they're never going to catch Oakland. So it, like, it doesn't matter. Like Oakland's 46 and one Oh three at the time of this taping. Right. And then you have Kansas city with 49 wins, Colorado with 56 and your Chicago white Sox 58 and 93. Um, you know, I don't know if that counts the, the win tonight or not, but you know, so that puts them, f- Firmly in fourth, um, which gives them a 13.25% chance at like the number one pick. Um, so they're a game back at Colorado. Why that's significant? Oakland, Kansas City, and Colorado, all with different records, but the top three teams all have 16.5% odds. So look, not a big deal. Like at the worst here, they're they're gonna have a 13% chance at the number one pick, but I do think it's a you know, almost like a 50% chance at being in the top three. And, you know, you're almost certain to be in the top six in some fashion. So, yeah, like that, that's a, you know, one silver lining to to being bad, basically, is is the, the high draft pick that they're going to get. So, obviously, you know, that's something that, you know, we'll keep monitoring going forward. It's just like one of the, it'll be one of the many winter storylines, you know, after we, get some coaching news possibly and front office news and who Chris Getz brings in and what departments he shuffles. You know, I've already heard, you know, some stuff on the amateur side, like not, you know, not Mike Shirley related, but 
people under him shifting around. You would have to think that there's some pro scouting stuff. I don't know what happens on the international side, but you know, the way they've typically operated has to change and likely does. I think, I mean, Mike, this was, this organization has done things a certain way for, you know, like pretty much your like entire yeah. adult adult life, man. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember some of the some of the early '90s and stuff when I was a kid, and I remember pre Kenny. But I mean, my God, it's been a long time. I thought I saw something from Scott Merkin. It was like he had been on the beat for over twenty, you know, twenty years plus, and it's the first time that he was uh, a member of the White Sox beat without Kenny or Rick and or Rick in a position of power so that just tells you a couple of decades of the same type of voices in this in the same rooms it's like an echo chamber man and if you totally dismiss alternate opinions then i guess you get this the way the white Sox are currently well we're moving into a new era kind of let's wrap up this podcast with a couple of final thoughts because i did want to bring this up Arizona Fall League's coming. Uh, the AAA season's uh, nearing an end. It kind of mirrors the Major League Baseball season. Double A, single A, done. Uh, instructs are also something that we can look forward to in the fall. I'm excited to see what Colson Montgomery can do, plus a handful of other prospects in the Arizona Fall League. But specifically Montgomery, I want to highlight his season to this point. Uh, got a late start. Around the All-Star break, he returns, dominates, you know, 10 games in the Arizona Complex League, which is just a tune-up for him, uh, considered rookie ball, so you're playing very young talent. Moved up immediately to Winston-Salem, spent a couple of weeks there, did very, very well, and didn't slow down in Birmingham and was continuing to get praise. Kylie McDaniel ranked him as the number two overall prospect in baseball of ESPN. Um as well as in, in Major League Baseball Pipeline, recognizing Colson Montgomery as a top 30 prospect, top 15 prospect. He's ending Birmingham with an 828 OPS. He has 21 RBI in Birmingham, four homers, eight doubles, two triples. And he walked 25 times compared to 36 strikeouts. In what I guess is, yeah, it's his second experience in double A. But this is more of a, hey, you're going to take on this challenge because we believe you belong here, not as a project, not as an aggressive assignment to say, hey, uh, can you handle this level like he was tasked to last year. On Montgomery, James, it's great to see all things considered the way he finished the season. The back issue held him out for pretty much half the year. Yeah, no, and I, look, I think people have asked if the batting average is worrisome in Birmingham because he hit 244, but I mean, he's got an on-base percentage of 400 with a 427 slugging. There were a lot of hitters, or a lot of pitchers, I should say, that like actively avoided facing Colson Montgomery this year. I just, he like looks smooth at the plate. You've heard all the Corey Seager comps. They look to be kind of true to this point, right? Like this is, this is like very similar to a Corey Seager looked like was doing 129 WRC plus in Birmingham. You know, this is it though for him. I mean, Mm -hmm. go to the Arizona fall league. He's going to be one of the most heralded prospects there. We'll see how he does. Cause look, it can't break him, right? Like he's 21 years old. If he goes there and he struggles, like it is what it is, right. Then he probably goes back to Birmingham next year. 
But if he really impresses and he's one of the best players in the Arizona Fall League, you know, like he could start in Charlotte next year after a big league invite. Like we could see Colson Montgomery pretty quick. And, you know, recently I was on the Sox in the Basement podcast and, you know, Chris Lanuti brought up like Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz. And he said, you know, I don't expect to see them like soon necessarily. And like I pushed back a little because like we could see Montgomery pretty soon, especially if Tim Anderson's not on the team next year. I just look, I'd be surprised if it's opening day. I really would be. But like by midseason, like I kind of expect him in Chicago because if he continues to do what he's done, you know, it just doesn't seem like triple A will be that huge of a challenge if he conquers double A in the way that he's like started to. So I think we I think we see Colson Montgomery pretty soon. And there's people that, you know, smarter than me who think this guy has superstar level upside and he hits from the left side of the plate. Seems like he's going to stay at shortstop, at least initially. And, you know, he's got really on really good on base skills that we're just not really used to seeing. So this, uh, you know, draft pick from 2021 is, is very exciting. It looks like the right one at this time. And, you know, adding him to, to Luis Robert in the near future, I think is, uh, is pretty fun and cool. He'll be 22 years old next season and maybe a, a little bit of time, in the minors, yeah, I, I think all things that we've seen this year indicate Colson is a big league player and could be an all-star for multiple years with the White Sox. Now, he's got to prove it at the big league level, of course, but, man, this is this is why we do it. We, we love to monitor a player such as Colson Montgomery. And quickly moving on to another player that I'm excited about, Brian Ramos. Again, another player who started the season late but spent – Pretty much the entire year in Birmingham through 77 games. Ramos finished slashing 272, 369, 457. That's an 826 OPS. And he showcased a lot of pop. He walked 38 times compared to 75 strikeouts. Homered 14 times in double A. Doubled 10 more times in double A. That's a player that we can anticipate being a part of this thing. And shout out to Jose Rodriguez, who's participating in AAA Charlotte. Uh, getting at bats there so you know just a little bit of a peek to what to expect on the infield curious to see what the White Sox decide to do with Tim Anderson have the um, decision to make this offseason to pick up the club option whether or not they want to do that we'll see Uh, and I think we're going to see like I said a more commitment to the farm system under Chris Gatz more so than we had already been anticipating before because now he's in charge and just to wrap up this portion quickly, a couple of players that we wanted to highlight. Noah Schultz ended his season because of a shoulder impingement. So that, um, you know, left-handed starting pitcher who was slow played a little bit at the beginning of the year because of a forearm strain, didn't require surgery, uh, just turned 20 years old in August. And the White Sox are very careful in monitoring his pitch load. Uh, 27 innings total pitched in the Carolina league, which was a single a Canapolis. That's the low a affiliate of the Chicago white Sox finished with a 133 ERA across 10 starts, 27 innings allowed four earned on 17 hits total 38 strikeouts in those 27 innings uh, and walked just six. Now it's important to mention that it was by design. The white Sox didn't want to push Noah Schultz in any way. Um, They began the season hoping for him to go, uh, it, there, there is a pitch count mix, but it's also about getting up and down. So getting up 
you know, three times for three innings. That's that's a positive development for Noah Schultz. He eventually pitched into the fourth inning over the course of his last three outings this year. So baby steps for a guy that we're closely monitoring. You've got to be able to polish the diamond, right? Because this is an anomaly, something that you don't typically see. And we don't know what's to come within the frame. But all indications suggest that the White Sox are going to continue to develop him as a starting pitcher. His mechanics are clean. His body control is off the charts. And he developed a two-seam fastball, a devastating slider, of course, that was highlighted in his draft profile. And he's working on a changeup. Right now, though, primarily a two-pitch pitcher, picked up a two-seam at the beginning of the year, and threw that primarily along with his slider. But when we saw him pitch, it was awesome. We want to see him pitch more, and that's kind of where we're at. So hopefully an offseason of tr- strength training and development, and hopefully the, the forearm issue is all but gone in the past, and we don't have to think about that anymore. And the shoulder impeachment is just that. It's just uh, kind of a wear and tear type deal of, that he can get over with some work. So those are some highlights, James, of some players. The Noah Schultz thing was a bit of a revelation, right, this year. I mean, he didn't pitch that much, and he, he's dealt with some injuries, and that's always going to be a factor. But, I mean, I just don't think anybody thought that he was going to burst onto the scene and look like an ace, which he firmly does. He's a top 50 prospect in baseball at multiple outlets, Baseball America behind Josh Norris, like leading the charge on that, seeing him multiple times. You know, we, we have instructs starting, you know, within the next, like, month. So seeing him pitch there or hearing the reports, I think, will be important just because, you know, he was kind of shut down to to close out his season. And it wasn't like that the White Sox thought it was super serious. It was just that, you know, he needed a little bit of a break and the season was ending. So I would imagine that he'll pitch some at Instructs. And then, look, next year it's just kind of all about innings. And I would think, you know, somewhere, I don't know, you know more about this stuff than I do, but. Like in the, in the 70 range maybe makes sense. I think 100 is probably too many, but I don't really know. I would imagine most of it's at Winston-Salem. But a very interesting guy with ace upside who we should hear more about this fall in instructs like going into next season. So, that hey, we're back. We are back, baby. How about it, James? That felt good getting all that stuff off our chest. We have more to talk about. We did release our top 30 if you're following futuresocks.com. That was the first kind of big post that we were able to put forth, you know, back on our website. Uh, go to futuresocks.com to read all of the information on the top 30 put together by our staff. Also, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you'll get exclusive content. You'll get this episode ad free and all the episodes moving forward ad free. That's where uh, that's the source of our funding is you, uh, your donations to us through Patreon. It, it really does help us get to the next level and allow us to do more than uh, what we were capable of in, in the past, because, you know, we do this for fun. We, we love following and being a part of this space and you guys support us. It just, it's the best. So we thank you for that. Uh, we have to talk about our top 30. We'll save that for future episodes. Also stay tuned for the future socks roundup. I know Elijah Evans has a special treat that will drop on the podcast soon. He had an exclusive interview. I won't say who, but you'll just have to follow and continue to find out. So lots to come because we're following, of course, the Arizona Fall League. We have affiliate previews coming out, and there's more things to pay attention to as the White Sox are trying to get right. 
and we'll be here for the ride, and hopefully you'll stick with us throughout it. Thanks to Socks in the Basement Broadcast Basement Network, Chris Lanuti, for allowing us to be on the platform, one of many, as we look forward to what's to come here on the Future Socks Podcast and at futuresocks.com. For James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.